Hi, I'm Angela Ardolino and welcome to Your Natural Dog, my podcast featuring in-depth conversation with the world's leading holistic veterinarians and pet care pros. Join us every week as we reveal natural alternatives to the outdated, one-size-fits-all pet care model we're used to. If you like what you hear, please make sure to leave us a review wherever you get your podcast. The only way we can get our message out to pet parents all over the world is with your support. Stop barking! I'm trying to record a podcast! Hey everybody, Angela Ardolina with Your Natural Dog, and my guest today is Amy Renz of Goodness Gracious. She is an incredible pet advocate, and she makes an incredible gently cooked food, and she's joining me today to talk about something that we don't really know much about, which are endotoxins and how they exist in our dog's food, how we need to look out for them. And if we do think that maybe our dogs have been exposed to them, what we can do to help them and detox them from this. And we're back with Amy Renz of Goodness Gracious, and we're talking endotoxins, which I know people are like, what the heck are those? Something else I have to worry about. But as we just said before we came on, this is kind of reason 942 why you went out and made your own recipes and developed your own food. And we're talking endotoxins because this is just another reason why we want to avoid buying that bag of kibble that's sitting on the shelf because it's going to contain endotoxins. Amy, what are endotoxins? <laughs> sure. Well, you know, endotoxins are important in when, especially when you look at the whole picture of what our pets eat, right? So very rarely, at least in our pets, do we, uh, do we see an acute instance of endotoxemia, right? It's kind of like aflatoxin maybe where at high levels it can cause aflatoxicosis, right? Or something that's um, an acute illness. But for the most part, it causes and works with other uh, things that are inside that bowl to make our pets sick, right? So when you look at the whole picture of what our pets eat, you know, there's endotoxins in a lot of it, uh, especially if you're talking about eating kibble or canned food. There are glycotoxins in a lot of that stuff, right? So those are a diverse group of, of compounds, but they're caused mostly from cooking and browning things, right? And they cause damage to a gut. There's glyphosate, right? Roundup in all of that stuff. And synthetics that are in food that can work with endotoxins at certain levels to make conditions worse. Imbalanced feeding, for sure. So endotoxins essentially are um, coming from the word endo and toxin, right? Endo inside of something. So it's a toxin that exists inside. And in this case, it exists inside of a gram-negative bacteria. So what I think is crazy is that like the whole raw feeding thing, they're, you know, the FDA is like, Everything needs to be cooked and killed. That's how we protect ourselves and our pets from getting, you know, exposed to E. coli and salmonella, which I think is hilarious because I I can't remember which one I had now. I got E. coli or salmonella, whatever one, from Peter Pan peanut butter. (laughs) So I can tell you that cooking (laughs) did not kill that bacteria, that harmful bacteria. And so what I'm learning is that basically that kill process to get rid of those harmful bacteria, when you bake, kill them with that high heat, 
you're literally making a new toxin, which is this endotoxin, which is the gram-negative bacteria. Right. So gram-negative bacteria would be, um, so gram-negative, gram-positive, right? Gram-negative. It just has to do with- yeah, so they are. So, you, you know, gram-negative bacteria would be like E. coli or salmonella or shingella, right? Shigella. And so um, when those pathogens, so think about a piece of chicken, right? That's got salmonella on it. And with that piece of chicken just kind of sits there, that's some, those salmonella bacteria are going to uh, propagate and they're going to grow and there's going to be more salmonella bacteria, right? And so when those cells of bacteria grow, they release a little bit of endotoxins as they grow. But mostly what happens is, and the big danger is, is actually when you go to kill all of that salmonella, right? So each bacteria cell can hold 2 million endotoxin molecules. So an endotoxin wow. molecule is, is structurally or chemically speaking, it's what they call a lipopolysaccharide. It's just a complex molecule of a fat and a carbohydrate. But when you go and now you've got all of all of those salmonella bacteria that are there, and then you go and kill them, they're all going to die. And when they die, they release each one of them. So that little house of 2 million endotoxin molecules, and that's what gets released. And that's generally what makes you sick, right, from, from salmonella um, or, or E. coli. I was literally reading something online that said, like, and this was for humans, like a single meal of a meat, egg, and dairy can cause a spike of inflammation within hours that can stiffen <laughs> one's arteries. And this is wow. because like, imagine if you're getting something that is completely factory farmed, you know, that nothing about it is real. The The animals barely, it's a factory uh, made product. It's not even an mm-hmm. animal anymore. And I find it so interesting because this goes with everything. Every time we go and kill something, if we go kill a cancer cell, we need to get it out of our body. We still need to get that dead cancer cell out of our body. We kill a bacteria. We still need to get that out. It still causes toxins and then, or it still has a toxic effect. What I think is so amazing is that then throw in aflatoxins, mycotoxins. What was I reading? Uh, propylene glycol. Was it propylene glycol? Yeah. That's a preservative. These things have all been proven to help those endotoxins cause even more damage. Do you know, can you speak about that a little bit? I I can. So endotoxins in the body, when they get released, generally through like leaky gut kind of thing, like they they can initiate and perpetuate damage to and diseases of the gut. So they can cause leaky gut. And um, so generally what happens is, is those endotoxins then seep into your bloodstream and they're they're brought to the liver where they're inactivated. Um, Too much endotoxin in the liver can damage the liver. But more importantly, when you have endotoxin in the liver in the presence of another substance, they can work together to synergistically damage the liver. And those other substances don't necessarily have to be toxins. I mean, certainly certain pharmaceuticals would do it, but more likely it's going to be the presence of like high levels of vitamin A or high levels of iron or high levels of copper. And copper is an especially interesting one because of the work that Dr. Sharon Center has been talking about, right? Um, So she's been talking about copper-associated hepatopathy and it being a tragic and nutritionally provoked canine illness. So she's actually gave a presentation to the FDA where she actually asked the FDA to enable manufacturers to override AFCO and change the copper content in their formulations now. Because according to Dr. Center, 
and her working group, Objective Data Validates that Dietary Copper Allowances that have been mandated by AFCO exceed the physiologic tolerance for many healthy dogs. And it's making them sick. It's giving them copper-associated hepatopathy. So that's too much accumulation in the liver and it's damaging the liver. And, and it's a very insidious disease that you don't really know about it until almost it's too late. So because it's mandated by AFCO and it's associated with copper chelates, so not natural copper per se, she was speaking uh, specifically about copper chelates. So it's a copper that's been bound to an amino acid. Uh, to make it highly bioavailable. So copper chelates have bioavailability of say 80%, where the natural copper you might see in oysters, for instance, or liver has more of a bioavailability of around 30 or 40%. And mammals also tend to be really adept with regulating natural sources of copper in their diet. So they kind of the more copper they consume, the less they absorb, and they eliminate the excess in stool. But that's not the case with copper chelates. And so they accumulate in the liver. And so that's a real big concern when you talk about now we've got, in particular, kibble and canned food with their inedible ingredients being sources of endotoxins. Rendered ingredients in particular are really high sources of endotoxins. And that's all in kibble, right? And now we've got this endotoxin that goes to the liver and it meets up with all of that excess copper and synergistically it works together to damage the liver. So, you know, endotoxins are associated with a whole host of of issues. I mean, they can cause lasting damage to organs. Um, Specifically, we see it with damage to the gut, damage to the liver, and damage to the brain. And how do they know? Like, how did they say that this is what's going on? Like, that this was what it was attributed to? Because what was so funny about that thing that I said about the human eating the dairy, eggs, and meat was that they used to blame it on saturated fats and used to say, oh, you consume saturated fats. That's why that's happening. And that's not the case. It's the fact that they ingested this many endotoxins at one time. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. So they blamed it on something else and that's not it. So that's why I'm so anti-kibble, you know, <laughs> <Right>? <laughs> you know, when people Join go, well, club. what kibble do you recommend? I'm like, anything's better. I'll feed them whatever I'm eating over that because there's so much wrong with it. There's so many right. things. I, the, just the fact that it can sit on a, a shelf for two years, the preservatives, right. The coloring, the the high heat. I didn't even think about. I I of course knew about mycotoxins and aflatoxins, which I you know assumed that the moment that bag is opened, that those start growing. Didn't even know about the endotoxins. You brought up something that said you said rendered, yeah, meats rendered as meal also or meat meals yeah. or chicken meals, all of those things. I want the audience. I know I have most of my audience are. 2.0 pet parents, but some of those may not know what you mean by rendered. Sure. And I would love for you to kind of tell them about that. Like, yeah, is this the reason why you did what you're doing? Is that you were just disgusted by what you were finding <laughs> out in the it, pet food industry? It is. So, uh, and rendered is a really great conversation to have, especially right now, because we're still in the, in the stages of going through an avian flu epidemic, right? So, 
This came about, um, it started in late 2021. It hit our shores in the U.S. around 2022. And so we might have, most people might have noticed it in the grocery store when the price of chicken went up and that turkey that they went to go buy for Thanksgiving was like three times or four times the cost, right? Mm -hmm. The reason for that was was the avian flu. Now, the risk around rendered ingredients is always there, but it was it's especially, I think, uh, important to talk about now. So with, with the avian flu, um, the, the best way I know how to describe rendering and what's happening with the avian flu, right, is to talk about what happens on a farm, right? So, you know, there's, there's a chicken, right? And let's call chicken Helen, like, you know, and, and Helen was there pecking, clucking and eking out a living, suffering the daily indecencies and inevitability of being seen as a broiler, right? right. And, and all was going along as it probably usually goes. And then, you know, Florence got sick, right? And so July in Georgia or these places where there's generally these large chicken farms are generally hot, right? And so, but that's nothing like what, you know, these chickens experience when the avian flu comes in. So there's a major culling the temperature gets turned up and the ventilation gets shut down in their living quarters. And eventually over the span of a few hours, they suffer and they die where they, where they stand. They're there in a decaying syrup of feces and flies and sawdust and pathogenic bacteria, rising tide of pathogenic bacteria, rising tide of endotoxins. And then they get shoveled out and tossed into the back of a, of a, of a dump truck or a truck that goes to a rendering plant. Oh my God. Are you kidding me? I didn't know that's how this story was going to end. Now I know all about the sick diseased animals, but I thought for sure with the avian flu, they'd be like, Oh no, hazmat got to burn that down. Whatever you are kidding. No, I mean, some places are maybe, but are shoveling and burying them. But no, the FDA allows all of that to be rendered wow. into, into pet food. And so, you know, it gets thrown into a back of a, of a truck and hauled off to a rendering plant. And, you know, there was an article in the Baltimore Sun several years ago, and they interviewed the manager, the general manager of a, um, of a rendering plant. His name was, I remember his name, it was Neil Gagnon. And he said, by the time we get them, they're soup. <laughs> oh my god! So you know, and they have of, to be getting sick, inhaling yeah, whatever right? the so, heck those toxins are. Yeah, and so the, and there have been instances of people that work in rendering plants getting sick from toxic exposures to you know the off-gassing from decayed flesh, and but you know all of that, even forty animals that aren't quite dead get out tossed in there. Um, Grocery store garbage, roadkill. Just recently, Susan Thixton reported on yep. dog DNA being found again in dog food. So, you know, where does that come from? You know, that's that's more often than not a euthanized animal. And Absolutely, because we had it exactly found it in, in the food that killed all of the dogs back when was it? Right. 2018. I can't remember yeah, now. I think so. Not even that long ago. And what people don't understand is that they are taking euthanized animals and putting it in the dog food and again, rendering it with all of these other uh, disease, decaying animals and then yeah, baking chemicals them. Chemicals too. Chemicals. So we don't know what happens. We know that phenobarbital kills a dog. We don't know what happens when you put a whole bunch of dogs that have been put down or horses or farm animals, or whatever, and then bake them at high heats. We don't even know what happened and they don't care. No, they don't. You know, and even like cattle, right? They still have the uh, pesticide ear tags still attached to their, you know, to their ears. They they end up in there. 
you know, grocery store garbage that's still in its styrofoam and plastic containers ends up in there. The other 25% of the, so I mentioned 75%, I think, of the avian flu, you know, birds that are culled are culled by that method, right? The, that thermal method. The other 25% are pretty much culled by fire retardants. So, you know, those things end up in there. And, you know, eventually they go into a pit. There's this auger that pulverizes everything into 40 millimeter particulates and slop. It's heated, which takes a lot of heat, like 270 degrees for four hours and pressure and all of that to separate fat from protein and create this powder that's a that's a protein powder that's a meal, chicken meal, turkey meal, whatever it is, um, rendered some rendered fats. And um you know, all of that pathogenic bacteria, yeah, that, that got destroyed in that rendering process, but it released an exponentially greater amount of endotoxins into that food. So, you know, those meat meals, those chicken meals, those poultry fats that end up in kibble, you know, yeah, they, they might not necessarily, they, they might have been sterilized to take out the, uh, the pathogenic bacteria, but they're, but they're loaded with endotoxins. And, you know, like I said, at unmanageable levels, they, they initiate and damage, damage the gut. Well, we have to take a short break. When we come back, we're going to talk about what are signs maybe that your pet or even you might be suffering from this, what we can do to detox and how we can maybe avoid these kind of foods altogether when we come back. If you're like us, your pets are part of the family. That's why at CBD Dog Health, we created a line of human-grade, full-spectrum hemp products tailored specifically to your furry friend's needs. Whether they're suffering from fear of fireworks, arthritis from old age, or even seizures and cancer, research shows that a high-quality CBD oil can make a big difference for them. Enter coupon code RADIO at CBDDogHealth.com for 15% off your first order. That's R-A-D-I-O. CBD Dog Health, healing naturally. And we're back with Amy Renz of Goodness Gracious, and we're talking about endotoxins and all of the disgusting crap that goes into these cheap <laughs> kibble foods and why I can never, ever get behind any of them. I can't even get behind factory farming. You even mentioned before we went on break, you know, that they do do some sort of sterilization with chemicals, but they're chemicals. There's still right. some sort of god awful chemical. So this is why I'm so passionate about it. And whenever I find a brand that is using not only human grade, but making things that um, our dogs feed our dogs and that they're actual medicine. We all know that saying, let food be thy medicine, but food can only be that medicine if it's you know, eating, you know, that the animal is eating what it should and living the way it should. Otherwise, it won't have all those nutrients that we're supposed to be getting from it. Instead, we're getting poison and toxins from them. So what's the easiest way to avoid this? Because it's found in, in canned food. Um, that means do we have to worry about anything that is cooked or baked that we need to be aware of these? So and would the goal be to make sure that those bacteria aren't present in the first place? So I think you know the first part of that is to select foods where you know that the ingredients that go in them are edible, right? So 
that would be selecting like a human grade food, right? Because they're licensed and inspected to mean that they are human edible ingredients and produced in a in a way and in a place that follows good manufacturing practices, right? So that while that might not necessarily, the flavor of that food might not necessarily appeal to your taste, you can eat it. Right. Won't kill you. <laughs> right. In fact, it's probably one of the more healthier things. <laughs> I look at, at what I feed my dogs and I'm like, they eat better than me, right? We have t-shirts <sighs> that say my dog eats better than me. Yeah. <laughs> you know, raw food wouldn't qualify as a human grade because it's raw, but there are really great raw food companies. And so you know, the only way that I would know how to uh, coach somebody on picking a quality raw food is to talk to the manufacturer, right? Um, because y- y- a good trick I think I learned from Susan Thixton, right, was to say, uh, what do you have for refrigeration or for freezer space? Because a lot of places that make kibble, for instance, don't necessarily have things under refrigeration. So the main reason, they're the main way is to either pick a human grade food or to purchase from a manufacturer that you, you know you can trust. So when it says human grade, can't just anybody put that on their packaging? So on their website, they can put it on there, but on their packaging, not by not by uh, regulation. So by regulation, by AFCO regulations, and that that of all the things that don't get enforced in pet food, I have to say from sitting on the hot seat on that one, that that, that is one of the things that is intensely regulated. You know, we That's have cool. to document. Yeah, it's really great. I mean, we have to to document to each state in, in which we sell uh, our food that, you know, these are our certificates of analysis on our ingredients. These are, uh, you know, third-party inspection um, audits, all of that. Those types of things, are they available on like your website? Like if they go to goodness gracious, or is it not available because it's not common practice? Because, you know, that's happening to me in my industry is hemp right. industry says we follow the hemp industry, not the pet industry, not what NASC has and not what anybody else has to say, just what the experts have to say. And they said, this is how we're going to self-regulate. We're going to test all of our batches and provide a third party analysis. You know, you scan a QR code, takes you to that COA, but nobody else is doing it. So because right. it's costly. So to me, I'm always like, well, why don't I go to when I go to buy an essential oil? why don't I see a COA? When I go buy a food, why don't I get to see their COA that shows me that it doesn't have all of those things in it? So it's funny because that's what we tell people to do is go find that COA, but they can't. Nobody's got one up. So (laughs) you're like, you're the only one doing it. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. I mean, they they could go um, and find, uh, like either speak to the the state in which, uh, where the plant is located because they would have to have a, a license, right? to make human food and that would but be But human grade is will be is a good thing to know that we're we're going to be right. safe from these things because right. they're not allowed to do this. They're not right. allowed to do this in human food, right? We're exactly. we're not eating avian dead animals and no, euthanized no, animals. You got it, right. Yeah. Got it. Exactly so human it. grade on the label. What right. what are some other things that people can look for? So a, a balanced diet, right, is is big. And um, so high protein, moderate fat, healthy fats, right? Not not saturated fats, but you know, a good omega three to um, a good omega six to omega three ratio is going to help protect the gut. And green leafy vegetables, like you know, it's a surprising how few formulations out there have respectable amounts of green leafy vegetables in them, right? I mean. 
I, I saw uh, an industry-wide study that said that it was something like eight times more um, sugar is sold to go into pet foods than than kale. You know, it's it's crazy. There's more salt that's sold to go into pet foods than spinach. And spinach is the number one dark green leafy vegetable you might find in any kind of pet food. But but so good amounts of dark green leafy vegetables. And the reason for that is that the fiber that's in them, right, as well as a compound called thylakoids, works together to protect the lining of the GI tract and prevent endotoxins from entering where they shouldn't. You know, they just kind of go, you know, they go right through and get handled as, as they should in the GI tract. Which I read, which is one of the purposes of omega-3s also, is to kind of help get these endotoxins out and protect the gut lining also. Right. What are some signs that maybe someone's pet is... And what is the term? Endotoxemia? Does that mean? And endotoxemia. I, you, I, you would know that. I mean, the dog would be very sick. Meaning it's it's one of those things where we're, you know, don't know what's wrong. They can't find anything, but your dog is clearly not feeling well. Right. I mean, think about how you felt when you had salmonella poisoning, right? I mean, it would manifest uh, Well, a, I thought I was dying. Yeah. <laughs> it's the only time besides when I was born that I went to a hospital. Because I yep. thought I was dying. I, it, I surely, and I couldn't believe that I got it from Peter Pan peanut butter. Haven't eaten it <laughs> to, to this day. Yeah. And what are ways that, is this, uh, we talked about omegas. Since it goes to the liver and it's being captured in the liver, is detoxing the liver um, sure. something they should do? Do you sure. have any suggestions on some natural ways, things we can incorporate or give them to help them detox? I'm sure you do too. I do. <laughs> <laughs> but I want to hear what you have to say. <laughs> oh, you know, I mean, so, you know, the first things I always think about with liver detox would be things like milk thistle, right? And, uh, and Sam and Sammy. Right. I mean, those are the kind of the two things that, you know, I reach for those things all the time. Like, you know, I, I, I hate some of the uh, pharmaceuticals and things that I might have to give to my dogs living here in New England for certain times of the year. Right. And so so those are those are things I, I always reach to. But I, I think you have some really great ideas. So oh, I, I love milk thistles, one of my favorite adaptogens. What about mushrooms? Have you yep. have any experience in feeding mushrooms? Because they're such an amazing functional food. Are they allowed in food? I was like, oh, yeah. Oh, yeah I was like, because sure. I remember asking this about hemp. I'm like, why isn't hemp seed, hemp protein in dog food? It's the greatest. And then I found out about it's not on the grass list, the generally recognized as safe. It's, and it never will be because, you know, <laughs> mean old hemp, it's so evil, right? But that's so that I was like, well, you never, I never see mushrooms in any formulations. And I was like, oh, maybe they're not allowed, but they are. Yeah, they are. And they're, they're wonderful uh, tonics for like immune system support, right? I mean, they're, they're fantastic um, for that. So, and, uh, and, and great when you're talking about supporting a liver and supporting detoxification. So. And what about fasting? Is fasting another, um, I, I find it fascinating that one of the things I learned about fasting or even feeding like in the daytime only, like feeding your dogs one time in the morning and not the rest of the day, like and not at dinner time also, is that you're literally giving the liver the chance to do what it's supposed to at right. night instead of dealing with food and it's detoxifying and healing yep. instead. Yep. Yeah, I, I agree. I, I think, um, you know, not 
not feeding the dog all day long, you know, is great. I, I also think that looking at the whole picture of what they eat is especially important. So, you know, we talked and touched just briefly upon glycotoxins, right? So glycotoxins, for instance, are, um, they're produced in the body, but they're also ingested in what, uh, what our dogs eat. So they're made in that browning process. So when you bake or fry a sugar and an, and an amino acid together. So we make gently cooked food, it's steamed, so we don't introduce glycotoxins into any of our food, but you would see it a lot in, um, in kibble and canned foods. In fact, a study by a large pet food company said that dogs who eat kibble are exposed to 122 times the glycotoxins levels of humans on a mig per kig basis. And if you eat canned food, you're exposed to 169 times the levels of glycotoxins. So, you know, glycotoxins are one of those things that work to damage the gut. You know, they're, they're tightly tied to chronic low-level inflammation, metabolic syndrome, and diet-related pathology. So metabolic syndrome being that, you know, gut, that, you know, fat around the middle, high blood pressure, diabetes, uh, blood glucose imbalances or inability to, to regulate. Yeah. And they've already linked all this for, through research to yeah. uh, these endotoxins. Yeah. So you're not just saying this willy-nilly. This has literally already been researched and is on here. So it's not, we know this. So this is why it's important for us to avoid them, know where our food comes from, and especially know where our pet's food comes from, how it is manufactured so that we can make sure we're getting living good food so that food can be thy medicine. Right. My dogs loved your food. They did oh, the, <laughs> the rabbit and turkey. I loved the rabbit. Fantastic. It was so beautiful. It looks beautiful and they love it. Thank you for being um, one of those amazing people out there who's doing the right thing in the industry. I really appreciate you. Oh, really you appreciate you being on my show and uh, educating us about these awful toxins. How do people find out more about you? Well, uh, goodnessgraciousco.com is our website. You can follow us on social media. We're on Instagram, Facebook, and, uh, and LinkedIn. Awesome. And I hope to see you again at another stop for Dr. Judy's tour. Yes, we will. We'll be there. Uh, awesome. Next one's coming up in, uh, in Illinois, right? Chicagoland. Yeah, Chicago. Yeah. Yay, good. I'll see you there. Thank you, Amy. Thank you, Angela. Thanks for listening to today's episode. Please make sure to leave us a review wherever you're listening from. This is the best way to help pet parents like you find these episodes and get access to all our content. Follow me on Facebook and Instagram at Your Natural Dog and at AngelaArtolino.com. Introducing MycoDog, an award-winning line of medicinal mushroom extracts combined with adaptogens like ashwagandha, astragalus root, and bacopa monieri, made specifically for your pets. When it comes to mushrooms, sourcing really matters. Unlike other products on the market that are grown in China or elsewhere, the mushrooms in MycoDog tinctures are grown here in the United States to the highest quality standards. MycoDog offers three formulas designed to support senior dogs, as well as those suffering from dementia and canine cognitive disorder, breathing and respiratory issues, or autoimmune diseases and cancer. Use coupon code YNDPODCAST at mycodog.com for 10% off these fantastic fungi.